So as we've been going throughout this sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit, we're talking about one of the fruits of the Spirit per week, and then we're talking about how Jesus acts this, lives this, brings this to life. And so this week is on kindness. And so what I want you to think about for a moment is, when's the last time somebody did something kind for you? Kindness being defined as goodness or gentleness, the ability to display sympathy, to be benevolent towards someone else, to bless someone else. When's the last time someone was kind to you? Just last week, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Scott, who's our uh, senior lead pastor, he kind of oversees our lead pastor team, he texted me right while I was practicing my sermon that morning, and he said, hey, I'm so excited for you guys to be in person this week. I'm excited for your church to worship at IPC. I'm excited for you, and I hope that it's a great morning. Scott's got a bunch of things on his plate. He's a high-capacity leader, but it was so kind of him to text me and to just tell me that he was thinking of us and praying for us as a congregation. When's the last time someone did something kind for you? Be thinking about that, and you can share that in your breakout rooms in a little while. Kindness is actually, I think, more weightily defined if we think about the absence of it. If we think about situations in our lives when it would have been real nice to have a word of kindness or an experience of kindness, but it wasn't there. In other words, kindness is one of those things where when it's not there, we know it better than when it is there. The absence of kindness. When's the last time you were in a situation where you thought, man, a kind word would have been real nice. A kind gesture. I would have appreciated that. I know that this is a real theme and a real struggle for me in parenting. When I have an opportunity to be kind toward one of my kids when they're misbehaving, or to be kind toward them when they're discouraged, a lot of times I fall flat on my face. And I know I'm the only parent in the room that has that experience. Like, it's, it's fine. It's just me. The kindness that is needed to be a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, it is huge. But if you want to learn the depths of your own brokenness and how hard it is to offer kindness when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you're impatient. A conviction for me lately has been when we're in transition, when we're trying to get the kids out the door, when we're trying to go somewhere, that is when I am at my least kind. Parenting just throws this amazing lens onto my own lack of kindness. But here's the thing that I want to offer around the uniquely gospel-centered definition of kindness. It is not just being nice to people. It is not just sending a text, which is very nice, very kind. Instead, in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uses the same word for kindness that he does in the Galatians 5 passage, the Fruits of the Spirit passage, and he says something remarkable about kindness. He says kindness is directional. It's like a compass. It's leading you towards something, leading me towards something. And here's what he says. This is Romans chapter 2 the second half of verse four. He's writing to this church in Rome, he's reminding them of the goodness of the gospel, and he says this. He asks it as a rhetorical question. Do you, church, not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It is directional. When we receive the kindness of God, when it is extended to us by someone we love, when it happens in community, or when we're just aware of the kindness of God. It's not just meant to make us feel good or light or happy, although it does do those things. It is meant to lead us towards something hard, something difficult and complicated called repentance. 
And just the simplest definition that I would offer for repentance this morning is to see where your sin and your brokenness is really hurting you and others, to name it and to ask for forgiveness. And this is the repentance part, to choose a new path. Choose a different path. That's where repentance gets really difficult. But our kindness, our kind and good God, extends kindness to us to lead us to repentance. That's what the scripture says. That's what we're gonna focus on. And this story that Holly read for us from John 8, which many of you are familiar with, I think perfectly illustrates how the kindness of Jesus leads people to repentance. We hope, we pray. So our outline for this morning is this. We're gonna summarize the John 8 passage. That's part one. Part two, we're gonna talk about how Jesus is kind in two directions. He's kind to the crowd and he's kind to the woman caught in adultery. And then the third section is gonna be application. What do we do with this in our lives? So let's summarize John 8 very briefly. This is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, If you've been around for a while, you know I don't like to just talk about that person as the woman who was caught in adultery. I like to give people names because I think we can relate to them a little bit better. So the name that I just pulled out of a hat for this character is Sarah. Sarah is the woman caught in adultery. Now, adultery in this time was kind of along the lines of like a crime that you would receive the death penalty for. It was one of the highest offenses in the Mosaic law, which is what this crowd is quoting in Jesus. Hey, the law of Moses tells us, we caught this woman in adultery, you know what's supposed to happen to her, Jesus. We're supposed to stone her, we're supposed to kill her. This is vigilante justice, because this mob has no right to do this under the law of Moses. Under the law of Moses, they're not just supposed to bring the woman who's accused of adultery to trial. Uh, The guy who's also involved in the act of adultery is supposed to be at trial next to her. He's nowhere to be found. Jesus knows this. I think the crowd knows this and they just chose to overlook it out of their desire to do what? To trap Jesus. That's revealed in the middle of the text. John, as a narrator, has this masterful ability to say, okay, here's what's really happening here. This crowd coming after this woman, they're not really after her. She's a pawn. What they're doing is they want to trap Jesus. They want to catch him not being accurate about the law. They want to catch him not being faithful to his calling as a rabbi. But if you think about it from the perspective of Sarah, caught in adultery, Think of her maybe barely clothed, pulled out into broad daylight, standing in front of an angry group of men. This is a patriarchal society, so she already is in a powerless position, made more so by the embarrassment and shame of the moment. She has no ability to speak up for herself in this situation, not in terms of the society around her. And what's even, I think, more staggering when we think about it from Sarah's perspective is this. She is in the grip of sin in this moment. Jesus says so at the end of the passage today. Go and sin no more. You don't tell that to someone who's innocent. You tell that to someone who has blood on their hands. And in this case, I hate to say it, but Sarah, there is sin in her life that Jesus is saying, no more of that. No more of that. And it's a dark and painful moment. And she is in this grip, but so is the crowd. So is the people around her. She's not the only sinner in this story. She is in the wrong, and so are the men who are ganging up on her in this situation. They are being opportunistic 
they are setting a trap. And Romans 2 actually warns about this a little bit earlier. If you want to read Romans 2, 1, it says if you go and proclaim guilt on someone, likely you are just as guilty as they are. You are just as guilty as they are. And this couldn't be more perfectly illustrated than in this passage. It's a huge mess. Sarah's life hangs in the balance. And I want you to put yourself in her shoes for a moment. How desperate would you be for kindness, for mercy, for someone to come to you and just say, yep, this is a problem, to tell you the truth of your situation, and then to say, let's give you a second chance. Let's give you a way through this. If you've ever hungered for kindness in a moment of vulnerability or a moment of guilt, you know how difficult that is. So that's our quick summary of John 8. Now let's talk about the kindness that goes out in two different directions. It goes toward the crowd and it goes toward Sarah. Let's start with the crowd. Jesus shows kindness to this crowd of angry religious men because of what he chooses not to do. What he chooses not to do. Now, that's kind of mapping the definition of kindness over mercy. Mercy is when you have the ability to punish and you choose not to. And it leads to repentance. It leads to reconciliation. In this moment, kindness and mercy are kind of riding side by side together. But what does Jesus do that demonstrates kindness to these men? He turns away from what he could do to them. In Luke chapter 4, an angry crowd surrounds Jesus after he's cast out a demon, and he just walks through the middle of the crowd. We don't quite know how he does this. I've never had the experience of someone walking through me kind of ethereally, but I imagine it would be a little uncomfortable to have that happen to you. So he chooses not to do that in the moment. He also chooses not to do what he reveals that he can do in John chapter 18. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you might remember this. There's a group of soldiers that come tromping up to arrest Jesus. You can hear the clank, clank, clank of their armor. They pull out their swords. They're ready for a fight. And then they say to Jesus, we've come to arrest you. And they ask him his name. Who are you? And he says, I am, which is the name of God. And when he says that, they fall down. Their weapons fall down. Like, listen to the clattering of metal as it hits the ground. They are disarmed, and they are thrown down. And they get back up again, and Jesus does it to him again. It's kind of amazing. Like, they can't really learn that they're not going to be able to take him unless he agrees to take them. So he could disarm this crowd. He could walk right through them. And he says later in that passage around the Garden of Gethsemane, I could bring down a legion of angels right now. I have my own army waiting in the wings. I've got my crew, but I'm not going to bring it into play. So Jesus shows kindness, mercy to this crowd of men by not doing to them what he could do. And could his kindness lead them to a new path? Maybe. Because what does he do? He draws in the dirt. Some scholars think that maybe he drew their names or their particular sins in the dirt, which is kind of mind-boggling to think about. Could that lead them to what? Repentance. Kindness leads us to repentance, right, church? Could he be leading the crowd of angry people toward a new path? Only Jesus could. I don't know about you, but I can't really change the direction of an angry crowd, but he could. The gospel can. If you've been a part of an angry crowd, it's time for you to repent. It's time for a change. The angry crowd in our day so often is online speech. How's your online speech? How are your conversations in social media and in different forums? Are you a part of that angry crowd? Do you need to be turned from that and repent? 
Do people you love need to hear a kind and gracious word from you saying, look, I see this happening and I'm worried about you? Do we need to be a part of that? I think the church does very much. And in the power of Jesus, for the purposes of Jesus, we can, church, extend that kind of kindness that Jesus calls us toward. So he's kind toward the crowd. The second part of this is how he's kind toward Sarah. And some of this is how he breaks down all the social conventions, right? Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher of the law. Rabbi were not supposed to talk directly to women. They just weren't. That's how the rules worked in the society. And they were especially not supposed to talk to women who were under the specter of an accused crime. He's breaking all those rules to see her, to acknowledge her, to look at her in her vulnerability. And I love the closing dialogue that they have together because it just, it just astounds me. Jesus' ability to be present in the moment to truly see Sarah for who she is. Listen to this. This is uh, verses 10 and 11 of what Holly read for us a moment ago. The men have departed, the anger has been diffused, and now they're left alone. It says this, Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. You can almost insert the word condemned. No one has condemned me. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. That word condemned doesn't happen a whole lot in the New Testament. It is used very sparingly because it is such a potent, powerful word. Powerful to the negative. Jesus uses it actually when he refers to his own impending death. The Son of Man will be put on trial. The Son of Man will be condemned. It's one of the few places he uses it. It's not a word to be taken lightly, but it is shot through the conversation between Jesus and Sarah. Why? Because like any of us, when we sin, when we knowingly sin, we know what we deserve. The gospel is not, go be kind to each other. The gospel is, I deserve condemnation for all the ways that I've turned my back on my callings as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. I deserve that. I do not deserve freedom. I deserve condemnation. That's what the scriptures tell us. That's what we believe with, in following Jesus Christ. It's not easy to believe that, but it's true. And it's more freeing than believing something else. That condemnation that was about to fall on Sarah and literally take her life from her, Jesus sees it and he says, no, that condemnation will not fall on her today. It will fall on me when I go to the cross. That is the gospel, church. Let us always be reminded of the gospel. Let us retell ourselves the goodness of this story. Rather than having the condemnation that an angry mob would bring upon any of us for whatever it is that we've done, instead the condemnation falls on Jesus Christ because he alone can take it. He alone can carry that pathway that we talked about, that Romans talked about, that kindness is directional. It is leading toward repentance. His kindness will lead you, lead me, lead our church into repentance, into new life, a new pathway forward. The question is, do you really want that? Do we want that? We love our comfort. We love feeling like we're free to do whatever we want. Sarah probably would have felt fine just kind of walking on through her life. But Jesus says to her, no, stop doing that. Enough. I'm extending my kindness to you so that, so that 
you will seek repentance. You will seek a transformed heart. And we don't have all the effort there. God's grace is not something we have to earn. That's why it's called grace. But we partner with the Holy Spirit. We take steps. We say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this sin in my life. I'm sick and tired of how I treat my kids when I'm frustrated. I'm sick and tired of how every time I get an email from so-and-so, I just want to send them back something that's super clever and super vindictive. No. Repentance means we seek a different way forward. Will you? Will I? Will we? I want to offer two encouragements from the scripture to pursue this practically. I encourage you to write this down and look at these passages on your own. The first is Isaiah 63, 7. And the second is Colossians 3.12, that same word kindness. We're going to look at two different ways to make this actionable, to bring this to life in each of our lives. Isaiah 63.7, the prophet writes this, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord. That's the word kindness in the Old Testament. I will recount the kindness of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us. Will you remember God's kindness to you? I don't know about y'all, but I, I can't remember stuff unless I write it down. Like, I, I really can't. You should see the notes section in my phone. It is so random. Like, grocery lists and things to remember to do on this day. And, oh, don't forget about this at work. I mean, it's just kind of a, a hodgepodge of little notes. But would you write down the kindness of God when it is extended to you? And that can be when someone sends you a text, like my colleague Scott sent to me. That is an example of the kindness of God. Write it down, remember it, treasure it, lest we forget the kindness of God. The second encouragement comes from Colossians 3.12. I love this passage. Paul is writing to his beloved church in Colossae, and he says this, as God's chosen ones, y'all, the church, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Clothe yourselves. What does that mean? As you get up in the morning, as you go make your coffee, as you stumble out into the sunlight on your front porch and look for the newspaper, if you still get a newspaper, which we do, clothe yourself. You wouldn't just walk out there in anything. You put something on. Put on kindness. What is a situation in your life where you need to put on kindness? Remind yourself, think to yourself, I need to put on the kindness of Jesus. As Jesus was so kind to that crowd, as he was so kind to Sarah, Lord, help me be kind when my neighbor plays this tuba at two in the morning. Lord, help me be kind when I know my kids are just going to be barking at me and I don't have the energy for it. Lord. Help me be kind when my colleague will not stop IMing me about some project that I don't care about. And not just kindness for kindness' sake, kindness that leads to transformation, to repentance, to a new way of life. Would you put on that kindness? If you can't anticipate those situations before they come, great. I'm not that good, so I'm just gonna have to remind myself every morning, Lord, let me put on your kindness. Practice that this week. Make that a part of your daily rhythm. You take your first sip of coffee in the morning and you go, Lord, today I put on your kindness. Say that with me. Lord, today I put on your kindness. And, I, and you wear it throughout the day. What a gift. 
The Holy Spirit longs to give you that gift, church. He longs to give it to me, not because he wants us to be nice people, but because he longs for kindness to lead us to repentance. Where do you need that in your life? Where do you long for that? Would you welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring that to reality? Kindness leads us in a direction. Let us follow it faithfully. Before we turn our attention to prayer, I want to invite you to consider uh, the discussion questions that are in your bulletin. So those of you that are online, you're going to be put into a breakout room. Those of us that are here, you're going to turn your chairs. We can move these chairs around. They're lovely. You can face each other, get into groups of no more than six, and just have a dialogue about the two questions that are in your bulletin that I totally forgot to bring up here with me. Have a conversation, share with each other, make sure you have an opportunity for everyone to share, and then we'll regather at 10.08. Okay, let me pray for us. Jesus, we wanna be led toward repentance. We wanna be led in the direction that you have for us. It's, it is not easy to want the things that are of you and of your spirit. I wish it was but it's not easy for me, and I bet it's not easy for a lot of people. Would you tear down the resistance that's in our hearts? Would you rebuild us on the foundation of the good news of the gospel, that we are free, free indeed? And because of your kindness, because of your accepting condemnation on our behalf, we can seek a new path. So help us. As we go to discuss these questions together, would you bring to life that which we most uh, would be encouraged to hear or share? And would you help us to take step forwards in faith? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.